I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the record of the earliest disciples of Christ, that we follow their pattern and we read from their words, and chapter 20 is where we're going to begin in just a moment. As our good brother referenced in singing these songs about the church, we are talking about the identity of the church. We are talking about how the Lord's church is different than denominations. It is a special organization, or as some have said, an organism. It is an institution. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. It is a group of called out individuals that are indeed quite special. David talked this morning about the virtue that you and I are to put on in trying to be like God. And one of the great virtuous acts of our Lord in wholesomeness and goodness was the institution of the church and putting us into that body. You may recall a couple of weeks ago that we began this particular sermon, a two-part sermon, by talking about the origin of the church. And I thought it was interesting that on two different occasions tonight, we have already communicated to each other about the church coming forth from Zion. And we know that in Isaiah chapter 2, we see that indeed the word will go forth from Jerusalem, that city, and we see that that happened in Acts chapter 2. We secondly talked about the worship of the church. It is to be done in a prescribed manner, that we are not just to flip a coin as to how we go about worshiping our God, but there are prescribed ways in which we please him. And thirdly, we talked about membership in the local church, the idea being that we all are members of God's church in a universal or global sense, but we also have a unique responsibility as we have added to our number today one individual who is a part of this particular congregation as a member here at Northfield Boulevard. I want us to talk tonight about two final aspects. And when I say final, these are not the end all and be all of everything that we need to know about the church, but it will suffice to make these five observations, two tonight and three a couple of weeks ago, as we talk first of all about the organization of the Lord's church. The other thing that I wanted to mention by way of introduction and by way of recap of what we did a couple of weeks ago is that I have uh, firmly believed that lessons like these are, are needed from time to time, even among seasoned Christians for the benefit of non-Christians or those who have come from some sort of a denominational background or uh, newer Christians who need to be grounded in the faith or for seasoned Christians so that we can teach these things to others. And I appreciate the good feedback that you have provided me and helping me to craft these particular lessons. And hopefully it will be a benefit to all who are here this evening. Thank you for being here. As was mentioned by Brother Jim, we have a lot of visitors and we're thankful for you. And we hope that we can be encouraging to you as you are already being encouraging to us. When it comes to the organization of the church, any institution, any organism, any organization, any group of people has some sort of head, some sort of functionality, has some sort of organization. And the scriptures provide us with a clear picture of how the church is to be organized, where you have individuals who are, as we'll talk in just a moment, shepherding the church. You have individuals who are serving. You have individuals who are participating. And all of us are working together in concert to do what the Lord has asked us to do. 
It is true that the church is designed to have shepherds who oversee the congregation. And that word shepherd is used purposely uh, in the New Testament uh, because we are individuals who are like sheep. In fact, we are told in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah that we are like sheep who have gone astray. And of course, there the image is of Jesus, the chief shepherd, rescuing us from the dangers of evil in the world. But we have other shepherds who are underneath the authority of that chief shepherd who are important as well. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 16, it says, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So as he's making this trip on this third journey, it says in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for, now notice the words that are used here, the elders of the church. And so we see here that elders is yet another word for shepherds. It is the word that for whatever reason or reasons we seem to use the most, but there's no reason why we could not use shepherds as a description of our three elders who serve in the capacity here at Northfield Boulevard. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, if you drop down about 11 verses, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There it is again, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And if we were to take the time to go over and read Titus chapter 1, we read where the word bishops are used. And so it would be wholly appropriate and right for us to refer to the fact that we have three bishops, three overseers, three elders. Or sometimes we use the word pastors because pastors are... Uh, to feed the flock. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says the elders or the pastors who are among you. Now, we're going to come back and talk about that here in just a second. I exhort, I who am a fellow elder. So this tells us that Peter served as a pastor as well, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. There's the second time that phrase among you is used in as many verses, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, there's reference to the chief shepherd that we talked about a second or two ago, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so this is one of the points that we made, that we made last uh, two weeks ago, that we'll make now and we'll also revisit it briefly in just a couple of moments to suggest that the biblical principle for elders or pastors is to shepherd the flock over which they have been entrusted and that is their responsibility. It is not the responsibility of the three shepherds that we have to oversee the work of a church elsewhere in the state or elsewhere in the country or elsewhere in the world. Their responsibility is limited to the work that goes on here in terms of overseeing and in terms of feeding the flock. This flock may, me, may need things that are different and likely will need things that are different than a flock elsewhere in a different state or in a different country. 
because each church is, as we'll talk in just a few moments, autonomous and individual in its organization. But not only are there elders who serve, who are among you, he says, we also see that there are deacons. And this church is blessed with a dozen men who serve in that capacity. In Philippians chapter 1, which we read just a few weeks ago uh, as we were studying some of the prison epistles, uh, we find where Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And he says in Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. This is, shall we say, a go-to passage where you can underline three nouns. The saints, the bishops, there's the word for elders or for pastors, and the word deacons. And the word deacon, as you know, as good Bible students, is the idea of being a servant. It is not the case that in Acts chapter 6 we have elders and deacons, at least per se. But it seems as if if you wanted to take the time to read some of the things that are found in Acts chapter 6, the first six or seven verses, that deacons are modeled after those men who were servants, who were chosen to take care of the physical needs of the brethren so that the elders The pastors, the bishops, the shepherds could focus on the spiritual, much more important needs. It reminds me of a story, and I'm I'm told it was true, where in one particular congregation uh, where there were elders present and where there were deacons who were present, that uh, it came time that they needed to buy a new broom in order to uh, sweep the sidewalks and clear the, the entryways. And so uh, the deacons got together and they had a meeting to talk about the broom. And then they presented it to the elders. And the elders said, give us a couple weeks and we'll discuss the broom. And then a few weeks later, they gave it back to the deacons. And the deacons had a meeting and they discussed the broom. And then finally, after about six weeks of leaves piling up, a broom was purchased and was agreed to with a purchase of $12.95. Now, some of that is probably a little bit uh, exaggerated as the story has grown like a a fishing tail through time. But that's probably, I think we can all agree in best judgment, not the best usage of the time of all those men who were debating the purchase of a broom, as opposed to a situation where the elder said, need a broom, get it. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) We're moving on to more important things. And we appreciate the fact that we have men who are serving in both capacities here, 15 men who are serving in those various capacities who understand what their priorities are and what the priorities are not. And then that brings us to the fact that there are members or saints who serve, who worship, who attend to the needs of one another. In Romans chapter 16, where we find the phrase, greet one another with a holy kiss, you churches of Christ, famously in verse 16, He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, there's the word used there, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So this is an example of a place that we could go to where Paul says, I want the individual members to be involved in the work of the local church in assisting one another. 
And one of the things that we as individual members are required to do and we willingly do, it's not just a matter of uh, we are forced to do it, we willingly submit to those who rule over us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the Bible tells us that in so many words when it says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Verse 17 has always impressed me on a number of levels, and there's a sermon just in verse 17 by itself. But one of the things that impresses me is that they will give an account. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. I don't know how the lineup's going to work on the day of judgment. But I do know that when I stand before the judge, I'll have to give an answer for the things that I've done and the things that I haven't done. But I also know that Brother John and Brother Phil and Brother Gerald, as well as others who have at various points in their lives served as pastors in local churches, they will have to give an account for the choices that they have made in terms of the collective body which they have shepherded. And to me, that is a humbling thing to think about. That is striking that they will give an answer. Now, it is true that each of us, we make our own decisions. And they can only hold our hands only so far and, and uh, lead us to the water. But the fact is, is they will give an answer for the way that they have led, for the way that they have served, for the way that they have shepherded. And of course, elders are at the very front of things. They are servants first and foremost. Servants and examples to those of us who are following them and who are thankful for their presence in this church, in this congregation. We also mentioned, and I want to mention now for a third and a final time, that individual congregations are to keep their autonomy. That's the way that the church is organized. This is seen in terms of two major scenes. One is in church finances, and that's a study in and of itself. But let me just share with you three passages very quickly that you may want to go and jot down or read at some point. One of those is Romans chapter 15 and verse 25 through verse 26, where Paul is writing late in his letter to the Christians in Rome. And he says in chapter, 20, chapter 15, verse 25, he says, Now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints... For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So there's this particular need, this issue that comes up repeatedly in the epistles about famine or about uh, a lack of finances for those in Judea, those in Jerusalem. And so notice the way that it is worded in verse 26 where it says it pleased those from Macedonia and it pleased those from Achaia. No one was telling them what they were to contribute or that they were to contribute. That was a choice that they made. Similarly, if we were to take the time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 5, we would find where that same concept is illustrated as is also found in Acts chapter 11 beginning in verse 28. 2 Corinthians is probably a little more familiar, so we'll skip over that and go to Acts chapter 11, verse 28, where the Bible there records for us this. One of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. 
And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren. There we are, dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it by the elders, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so when we think about how this church uses its financial responsibilities, it is underneath the authority of this church and this church only. And that's one of the things that amazes people who have grown up in denominations or who are not familiar with the, the structure of the church. In that you mean, you're telling me that someone else, elsewhere in the world or elsewhere in the country, isn't telling you uh, how to get your money or how to spend your money? That's true. The local elders here are responsible for those choices, and we trust them with that particular work. The same is true in terms of mission work, and I put that in quotes because certainly we are on a mission to save souls. Uh, sometimes that phrase is used in a different way uh, to illustrate something that we would not want to be a part of, but we are involved in the mission of saving souls, not just here in Rutherford County or this part of Tennessee, but around the world and around the country as we assist financially. For example, while we're here in the book of Acts chapter 11, turn over to Acts chapter 13. It says, in the church there was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And as they ministered to the Lord, verse 2, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They have fasted and prayed, and then they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. Similarly, a page over in your Bibles in Acts chapter 14 and verse 25 and following, it says, When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples." These are just a couple of passages that illustrate that when this church wants to engage in teaching the gospel elsewhere in the country or elsewhere in the world, which is a noble cause, a right cause, and an appropriate biblical use of our funds, the elders here send those funds directly to the man who is doing that work, and then he does the work as he sees fit. Now, there should be probably some good communication between that man and the men and women who are supporting him. And we uh, enjoy reading those reports that come from those men who are in other places and seeing the good that they're doing. And to the men who are in that position, having been there, done that, it is very appreciated because it makes all the difference in them being able to work. Let me say just one more thing about the organization of the church, and that is when you think about elders and deacons as illustrated in Scripture, it is always in a plural form. We take that for granted because that's what we either grew up with or that's what we've known for so many years. But in most places where there are elders present, it is without an S, or where there is a pastor present, it is without a plural nature to it. There's no such thing as one head bishop. I appreciate our brother reading from Matthew chapter 16 one more time tonight as we did two weeks ago. 
But the Bible is not teaching that God was going to build the church on Peter and make him the head official, the head bishop or the pope. That is a concoction that came years after the establishment of the church, which is a false doctrine which we are to reject. The other thing that we need to appreciate, and again, we take this for granted, but we don't have to look too far geographically or otherwise to find where individuals are now suggesting that women can serve in the role of elders uh, and, and serve as deacons. There are zero examples of that in scripture, and that's why we choose not to go down that road as well. The other thing that I wanted to mention here is two things, and that one, churches are sometimes aware of the work other churches are doing, but they are never subject to one another. For example, we are aware of a couple of churches within an hour's drive that are having gospel meetings this week, and some of you will choose to go and support that effort, and rightfully so, because it is a good effort to support. We are aware of the work that they are doing. The elders at this location are probably acutely aware of certain aspects of works in the area, especially when individuals move in to our area and choose to place membership here. But we are never subject to one another because each church's secondly own elders oversaw their own work. And that's the organization of the church as sketched out in the New Testament. Let me spend just a, a few moments then closing with the mission of the church. And I appreciate Brother Jonathan leading those good songs that, again, pointed us in this direction. The church is most importantly a spiritual organization focused on spiritual objectives. And to the world, sometimes, that makes us look cold or calculated or, or callous. But we are not a physical organization dedicated to physical needs. That doesn't mean that we don't help one another physically. But we all understand that if someone comes in with a headache and someone comes in with a spiritual heartache, which are we more concerned about? If someone comes in with a cast on their arm and someone else comes in and says, I think I need to have Jesus in my life, we are more concerned with the latter than we are the former, always. Because the church is a spiritual organization or organism or institution or bride of Christ. And as we talked about this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, with every action, the glory belongs back to God. We do not do good so that we are glorified, so that we are made to look good. But we are doing the good that we are doing so that the Lord himself is magnified, glorified, and that his love is reflected. There are things that the church does in its mission. Let me suggest to you three major things that the church is involved in. Number one... Just after I got done talking about the lack of importance of the physical things, we do see to the physical needs of our brethren when there are difficult times by practicing benevolence, doing good for others, including but not limited to financial assistance. Certainly, we lean on one another as individual Christians to do this as much as possible because there seems to be a pattern for that. Even though 1 Timothy chapter 5 is not directly an expose of this particular subject, it certainly lends itself to the idea that if, if I can help you 
without burdening the church, I want to do so. But when someone's house is burned down and they've got a $5,000 deductible, when someone has lost their job or their health has made it so that they've had to quit their job and they are now losing income on a routine basis, it may be that I and you and another person can't sufficiently help out. And so it may be that the elders choose to say, we're going to help in this particular situation. Christian behavior includes taking care of needy saints. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, and uh, one of my favorite chapters in all of the book of Romans, it says, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. We read a few moments ago in Romans chapter 15 that needy Christians in Judea were given financial help. I made reference to, and we will not take the time to read the dozen or so verses that are referenced here, but Christian widows can be supported by the church if need be. Now, are there qualifications that they need to, to meet? Are there certain parameters that are in place? Absolutely, there are. But the purpose of the church is, is primarily spiritual, where we focus in benevolence on one another. And it all goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where it says, Now concerning the collection, and the next three words are absolutely essential, where it says, For the saints. So the church's money is the Lord's money. David and I were having a discussion again uh, just uh, recently that once those funds are given to the church, they're no longer your funds. They are the church's funds. And then the church underneath the authority of the pastors chooses to spend that money as dictated by the pattern in the gospel message. So elders and deacons oversee the needs of the congregation and they make those decisions accordingly. Secondly, the New Testament church practice edification, being built up, being strengthened, being made stronger is what it means to be edified. The idea of an edifice or a building or a part of a building seems to be suggested here. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 26, there the apostle Paul says, "How is it then, brethren, Whenever you come together, and he's talking here to those who have misunderstood spiritual gifts and the organization in which they are to worship. He says, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And the problem you recall at Corinth is that they weren't doing things in an edifying way. They were doing things in a confusing way. And everyone was competing with one another as to whose spiritual gift was superior to the other's spiritual gift. So the church needed to be instructed not only to allow this, but not allow anything to hinder this from happening. And the leaders of a church, those who serve as pastors, those who serve as deacons, and you could make the argument here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, that those who serve as evangelists, those who are teaching on a routine basis, it is important for us to equip ourselves and to equip each other with the tools necessary to build up one another. We won't talk much more about edification, but I wanted to say a couple of things about that because we talked so much this morning in our Bible class about the practical ways we go about edifying one another. And if you want to talk more about that, if you weren't here in our Bible class, be happy to share with you some of those thoughts at a later time. But edification, the idea of building up one another, comes through assembling together. 
And that's why, especially in a, in a time wherein we are separated from one another, more so than we've been in a couple of years, because of the events of the last 18 months, it is important for us to spend time together. I appreciate Brother David doing a sermon about uh, six months ago on that particular subject and talking about the importance of assembling together as much as possible and being together because that is a viable use of our time. We also are edified through our study together. In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, those who are older are to teach those who are younger. Those who are younger are to benefit from the instructions of those who are older. And this can be done both publicly and privately. And in fact, we have individuals, a lot of them, some whom I know about, others who I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, are having private studies with other Christians and are engaging in those conversations. Why? To kill time? No. To check a box? No. We're doing it to build up one another because this is, a, 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 this is the bride of Christ that is supposed to be building up one another and encouraging one another. And one of the things that we do when we come together is we pray together. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Let me suggest thirdly that based on the New Testament pattern, that the mission of the church is to be in evangelism. And I always like to say, just as an easy way for me to remember it, that if you want to think of the church and what its mission is, it's being busy like a bee. Benevolence, edification, and evangelism. Those three things together make up the work of the church. Evangelism is literally the spreading of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus the Christ. In fact, the purpose of the church is to be the foundation of the truth. Because the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. That's what the church is really about. It is not here to host blood drives. It is not here to feed those who are hungry. It is not here to uh, provide a place for us to have a political discussion. It is here for us to have spiritual discussions, meaningful spiritual exercises in worship to our God. Because Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians says, the church makes known God's wisdom. You want to see God's wisdom? Look at the church. You want to see how wise he is? Look at this organization or this organism or this institution or this, the bride of Jesus Christ. Because this is an important thing to be involved in. And that's exactly what the men from Antioch did as we read there in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Well, let me close with this, and that is when we think about local churches, we know that they did the work of teaching and not any other organization. And we're only going to spend maybe two to three minutes on this particular subject. In our men's studies that we engaged in last fall and early this spring, we spent hours talking about this particular concept. But I want to look at two passages before we close out. One is in 2 Corinthians and the other is in the book of Philippians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, where there Paul says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. 
that's one example that we could look at and see where an individual is supported by a local church and not by an outside organization. We, again, take this for granted. But in most places in the religious world, the idea of mission work or evangelism or teaching is done through an outside organization, whether that be a formal missionary society or an informal missionary society. Those are things that are contrary to the New Testament pattern. And while some might say, well, what's the big deal? We want to get the job done after all. We want to get the job done in the way that God prescribed it. And the way that he prescribed it is the best way. The same is true. We won't take the time to read in Philippians chapter 4 because we read that just a few months ago uh, and read it uh, about a month ago when we talked about the local church benefiting from the opportunity to help those who teach the gospel and not an outside organization. Churches work to teach locally, and they also work to teach elsewhere, including faraway places. This church has helped in the Philippines, for example, and numerous other places in years past. This was successful in the first century, and it can be and will be today. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the last passage that I'll reference. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's a beautiful passage because it attests to the fact that God's plan works in our own lives, in the life of a congregation, in the life of the church in a general or universal sense. I hope these things have been helpful to you. If nothing else, they're helpful to me because I'm reminded of things that are important to study and things that are important to gather so that we can teach others in a more effective way. If you're here and you're not a member of the Lord's church, then we are extending to you the invitation which Jesus always extends. And just because uh, this night comes to a close doesn't mean that it, that invitation comes to a close. That invitation continues until the Lord returns or until your life no longer exists. And so we are praying and earnestly hoping that you will do what is right to become a child of God tonight. Hearing the truth, believing it, repenting of your sins, and confessing that Jesus is the Christ will baptize you tonight. If you are a child of God and maybe you're not living correctly, maybe you aren't putting the church first, maybe you aren't prioritizing the church, maybe you've not thought about the church as the important thing that it is, the important bride of Christ that it represents, then we want to help you to make those changes, whether we study with you, pray with you, or help you in any way. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.